It's not quite time for the madness that is college basketball in March, but that doesn't mean the fun has to wait. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is giving all new players the chance to cash $100. New customers can bet $1 on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week. And if your team makes it rain, you cash $100. That's right. All it takes is for one three-pointer being hit by your chosen team to turn $1 into $100. Sounds like a no-brainer to me. If basketball isn't for you, DraftKings Sportsbook has daily odds on hockey, soccer, and so much more. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to get your shot to turn $1 into $100 when you bet on any team to hit a single three-pointer in any basketball game this week. That's promo code THPN for new customers to get a shot at 100 to 1 odds on any basketball team to hit a single three-pointer shot. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, Michigan, or Virginia only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. Winnings paid out in four $25 free bets. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLE. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Berlansky, and as always, I am joined by Nick Horwat, and we are in a much better mood this time around than we were the last episode, even though I don't think we were in that poor of a mood last episode, but I digress. Trolls seem to think we were. Yeah, some people think we were, but Horwat, how are you doing today, buddy? Doing good. It's another morning one, so I have my coffee with me, and it's nice. I mean... I'll, I'll, as I move around and shake, I'm sure you'll see multiple Crosby jerseys behind me, and that's for a good reason, which is something we will get into. Of course, you're alluding to the 1,000th game of the illustrious career of Sidney Crosby. Still plenty more to come from Ole 87, but definitely a night to remember on Saturday as he played his 1,000th game, becoming the first Pittsburgh Penguin ever to do so. We'll talk about that, of course, and we'll talk about the effort the Penguins had on Saturday night. But we're going to start off with the Penns Islanders game from Thursday, of course, a 4-1 to victory. We're going to talk about that a little bit before we get into the Crosby 1000th game because this was a game in which the Penguins looked pretty good through and through. There was very little bad that happened in that game. What did you think, Horwat, overall? Yeah, I pretty much agree with that. I can't remember too much of it, but I mean, it was definitely a good game. It was a game that looked good top to bottom there wasn't too many hiccups along the way um the way everyone was looking looked good i don't remember the score now was that mm-hmm. the three to one uh we won that game four to one four to on one. thursday yeah okay yeah that was the that was the game where i'm sitting there thinking to myself not saying it out loud thinking to myself if jari could just get this effing shutout <laughs> um but leave it to our penalty kill to blow that one for us that being said, uh, either way, yeah, great game all around. It's It was an important game to win like that because, again, it was the first time we finally gave up a goal or two goals or fewer. It's been a while. Again, I mean, that's one of the things I've been harping on all year. Like, yeah, we haven't had too many multi-goal wins or too many regulation wins, but excuse me, if we can get a game where we're not giving up four to five goals and collecting a win, 
I thought that was another stepping stone. So the fact that we were able to win a game with just giving up one, and a late one at that, mm-hmm. could have been nothing. Um, that was a huge mark, especially in the confidence for Jari going forward. I, mean, I think he, his game is a big one that needed to be turned around. But um, we looked good, and the changes that were made seemed to seemed to work out to start so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's funny because on our last episode, we talked about potential line changes for the Pittsburgh Penguins, and we talked about switching Gensel with Jason Zucker, and instead Mike Sullivan decided to go on to the other wing, and he switched Cappy and Rust before those two games. How did you think that overall played out? I mean, of course, Kasperi Kapanen making a turnover early in the first period, and what we thought was a goal, and unfortunately for him, Sidney Crosby did Sidney Crosby things and just redirected it with absolutely no space in between to give them the one nothing lead. What did you think about those line changes, and were you surprised at all that it was a complete opposite wing than we were saying to switch? I'm not surprised. They're... No one in the world, not even Mike Sullivan, is going to get the crowbar out and and break up Crosby and Gensel. It's just not going to happen. Not yet. We that's what we don't think. But I mean, it's it would take a crowbar to do that because I don't know if it's what they want. I don't know if it's what Sullivan wants. I don't know if it's just what the fans love or if it's what the media wants. It's just it's how it is. It's what everyone. In the organization, I guess, just wants to see. Doesn't matter if it's doing great or doing bad. They're not going to tear those two apart. It's. I can't think of a comparison for it, but it's. Here's a wrestling comparison. It'd be like breaking up the New Day right now. <laughs> if like they've been together for so long at this point, you just can't. And we haven't watched wrestling since what sophomore year of college. Uh, no, I was watching it during junior and senior year a little bit, but I haven't watched it since college. That's I haven't sure. watched it. I haven't watched it since Mania, our senior year, and that's because it sucked. That was the one where, hey, New Day, Kofi won championship. So, there's your little wrestling portion for all you wrestling fans. Um, yeah, you're you're not splitting those two up, and I don't know why. There's, it, but it, while it may need to happen, I just don't think it will anytime soon. To bring it back to hockey a little bit on the comparison side, it's almost like Sidney Crosby and Chris Kunitz. It, it's yeah, that's a little a bit one, even yeah. even more dramatic because I feel like it's harder to separate those two being Gensel and Crosby because of how good Gensel is and how good he's played and how well he's played with Sidney Crosby. Kunitz was great, but I don't think Kunitz was ever a 40-goal scorer where Gensel does have that under his belt. Gensel had a 70-plus point season, so it, it is tough to split those guys up, and that's one thing that I said might get the Malkin line going is if you put Gensel down there and it's for good reason. It's because of how good of a player he is and how much he elevates the center that he's with, whether that be a Sidney Crosby or an Evgeny Malkin, they are elevated by his play, but Sullivan decided to switch the other side instead. And I believe it, it looked like it helped a lot. Brian Russ definitely put a little bit more energy and jolt into that second line. And we'll talk about how they performed on Saturday as well, which was, I think even a bigger step forward, even though they weren't on the score sheet nearly as much, but Like I said, we'll get into that. One thing that was an issue in both of these games, first period performance as far as allowing shots. On Thursday, 14 shots allowed in the first period, and I thought that was a crazy number. We'll get to it. On Saturday, they allowed more than 14, but giving up that many first period shots, yet Tristan Jari being able to stand on his head, keep this team in the game, and allow them to get their cell, allow the forwards and the defense to get their game going and, and to get on top of the New York Islanders, After that early barrage of shots, I think that was something that was very 
good to see for the Pittsburgh Penguins as far as a goaltending standpoint, but at the same time, it is a little bit of a worry that they're starting that slowly and they're giving up that many opportunities early in the game. You mentioned this is the first time that they've given up less than two goals in a game. Something that's a little bit more ridiculous, I think, is the fact that this was the first game of the season that the Penguins did not trail at all. Yeah. That, I think, is a little bit more crazy. Not only to not allow less than two goals, but to not trail at all for the first time this season. It's, it's again, like you said, it's a step for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Mm-hmm. It's a step in, step in the right direction, for sure. It's... I feel I feel like we all kind of realized that it was the first time they hadn't trailed all game, but um, I don't know. They say that some of, one of the most important things in hockey is getting the first goal. Well, that's something we haven't been doing too much of, but still finding ways to win. And it seems like for this year, for some reason, that mentality just isn't there. I mean, it is still important to get the first goal, but I mean, we seem to be doing fine without it. But we're not looking phenomenal without it. That's <clears throat> That's one thing that's for sure. We haven't looked great. Uh, we've scored the first goal on a couple occasions, and a couple that come to mind is the Evan Rodriguez early goal against the Caps the mm-hmm. first time we played them, Mark Jankowski's goal in the opener against the Flyers. But it's just, even after we have it, we haven't been able to secure a lead and hold on to a lead very often this season. So it was nice to see on Thursday that they got the lead, that they held on to the lead, and they basically controlled the entire game. Tristan Jari had... Almost a shutout, gave up a goal. Oh, well, it's still, we'll get into his performance a little bit later. One player whose performance on Thursday I want to highlight, and he played well on Saturday as well, but I want to talk about him a little bit in this block. That's Teddy Bluger. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about him a little bit because he has 10 points now on the season in just 16 games this year. Before this season, we said, yeah, Teddy Bluger is an established good fourth line center. And a lot of the questions were, well, did the Penguins get a third-line center? And that's what we thought Mark Jankowski might be. Listen, I'm of the mindset now that Teddy Bluger is ready to make that jump to a third-line center. I don't know what you think on that matter, but I think he is the answer for the Penguins at third-line center. I get that it might just be that he scored a good bit of points early in the season. It might be a hot streak, but I think the way he plays is conducive at this point to scoring more goals. He's smarter. He finishes a little bit better this season, and I think he also sets up plays a lot better as well. Hora, what do you think about the fact that I believe Teddy Bluger is the answer for third-line center? I wouldn't necessarily say the answer. I mean, we just... The Penguins have been had this have had this kind of curse on them that they keep trying to find Nick Benino again, mm-hmm. and that's the issue. And Nick Benino isn't even Nick Benino anymore. We got lucky for those two seasons where he came in here and did the things he did. Um... We've been trying to find that sort of third-line center again, and we're not going to be able to. We need to accept that. We get past that, then there is this Teddy Bluger thing, which, if it works, it works. It's a guy who can be a good third-line center. I'm not saying he can't do it. I'm saying, I is it too soon to say that sort of thing? I'm not exactly sure. I'm not a coach. I don't know the dichotomy of Teddy Bluger as a player, but if he's a guy that is able to has the ability to play that amount of minutes and put up a good amount of points to be the third line center on this team. I mean, we, I thought Jankowski could turn it around for a little bit. It seemed like he could at first. Now here we are. Uh, but yeah, Bluger's able to handle it. I like it. I'm not going to be mad at anyone who's able to take that role and perform in it. I just want to 
see it a little more than just a handful of games so far, obviously. And going forward, I mean, he's you said 10 points so far, and we're through 15, 16 games? 16 games as of right now. That's not bad. I like that. So, yeah, if he's able to keep up this sort of pace, then, yeah, I'd say he can do it. He just – we're. I also just kind of stuck in this mindset of the Penguins need a big guy at third-line center because it's all we've had since Jordan Stahl. That's all we've had. They've all been six plus, six foot three plus, basically. And now here's Bluger, who I believe is like 5'11". And it's just, it's not what I usually expect. But I mean, again, if, if he can do it, I just got to change my change the way my mind works on that. That's all that is. And he's good. He's performing. So, yeah, I think he can do it. I just got to see it continue now, not just have this be a nice hot streak. You mentioned a couple things that are going to lead right into my point on this one, and I love that you did that because that, that just makes my job a lot easier. But Absolutely. In this thought process where I think that Teddy Bluger is the answer, listen, you're right. The Penguins, ever since Nick Benino left in free agency, the Penguins have been searching for that third-line center. It's a question that came up. You know, Is Derek Broussard the new third-line center? Is he the missing, missing cog? We had a couple other players leading up to Jankowski in this offseason. Is he the missing cog? Is he the answer for third-line center? We're looking for a certain brand of player. Jankowski, you want to know why we, we thought that he might be the answer? Exactly what you said. Well, Jordan Stahl. We're, we're looking for that Jordan Stahl piece. Okay, if not the Jordan Stahl piece, let's look for the Teddy Bluger piece. Or Sorry, not the Teddy Bluger, the uh, Nick Benino piece. Well, instead, how about we just look at what we have right now with Teddy Bluger? He might not be what we've had in the past as a third-line center, but he's a completely different player than we've ever had in that position before in that he is more focused on defense than a Nick Benino was, than a Jordan Stahl was. Not to say that those guys weren't defensively able, which they extremely were. Both of those were great defensive centers, but as far as Teddy Bluger's concerned, he leans forward onto the defense before he even thinks about offense. And that is one of the things that makes him as good of a player as he can be because he came into the league with that. And now he's picking up a scoring touch. Now he's picking up a little bit more of an offensive zone prowess where he knows what to do with the puck in the offensive zone. He cycles well, and it helps that he's on a line with guys like Zach Asnerys and Brandon Tanev where the three of those guys' chemistry works extremely well. But you saw what happened on Saturday. They took Brandon Tanev off that line and put in a guy like Sam Lafferty, and that line still produced. So it almost makes you wonder, okay, if, if Tanev isn't the – cog that makes the machine go on the third line maybe it's Teddy Bluger and I think that's something that we need to realize that this kid has been playing really well for a long time and he might just be the answer at third line center whether the scoring that he's shown early in the season persists or not I think he is somebody who is steady he's great in the faceoff zone he's great in the defensive zone he is very responsibly in his own responsible in his own zone and now that he's starting to pick up that offensive prowess, I think he's the answer at third-line center. So if you're looking for something that you need at the trade deadline this year or next offseason, I think you just need to solidify your fourth line because this guy is the answer. Yeah, I like that. I like the idea of him being the answer. It's not a terrible idea as long as his production can continue. One thing I will just mention that you said solidify your fourth line. The fourth line is not something you ever have solid. Let's, I just want to start there. We ha- we just had it solid last year because we had three players that we decided to glue together and mm-hmm. say they were playing on the fourth line. Mm-hmm. Your fourth line is usually going to be different every year for the most part, unless it's the, in Islanders' case where it's these 
guys that have been around forever. Yeah. And they're they're just not good players. Well, not <laughs> good players. They're just that's their style. That is, they are fourth line players. Yeah. That's different. The Penguins don't have that situation. In the Penguins situation, um, the fourth line is going to be a little different every year. And I, but I get what you're saying. You want someone who you know is going to be there. Yeah. For that year at least. And that's what you should be going out looking for in the offseason, not so much looking for a guy that you're going to take in and have on that fourth line forever, unless you get a Casey Sezekis type. But I don't think we're trying to get a Casey Sezekis, Matt Martin. The last one is hey, escaping me. Who, who knows? Kyle type. Clutterbuck is the last name you're Kyle looking Clutterbuck. for. But who knows? We have Brian Burke now, so maybe we do get a Casey Sezekis type. You know what? The I, way their fourth line plays, I don't think I'd be that angry. They have mm-hmm. a good fourth line down there. I mean, it's a little hard to watch because they're kind of just assholes, but <laughs> it's, again, that's something I, if that was in my team, on my team, I'd say, you know what? I like that. It works for the style of play that New York plays. It, it fits perfectly with yep. their fourth line, with their whole style of play, at least, especially in the Barry Trot system. So it works for them. I'm not necessarily sure if it will work for Pittsburgh, but I wouldn't knock it necessarily I, I might a little bit but we i don't think that's something we first. have to worry about too much with hextall as gm we all would not get it first i think it was the brandon effect we all looked at that at first and said what are we actually doing here what like that long that much money and the no trade what are we doing here oh he has all that good we don't want him leaving <laughs> like that's how that's turned out so i mean maybe it works maybe it doesn't and who knows again the Tanev thing, this is just a quick sidebar. You, I'm, st- Yes, he's playing phenomenally. He's played great last year. He's playing great this year. I'm still taking it year by year with him. Still, yeah. I'm going to be honest because it is a lot of money. It is a weird contract. And the style he plays, I mean, we thought Crystal Tang might fall off a cliff, and we thought he did for a minute. Tanev's another guy that he could fall off a cliff. Good, but he's a little bit younger than Chris Letang. I think he's less prone to doing that than than many others would be. But but from behind, they both look the exact same. So well, yeah, with that gorgeous <laughs> flowing locks, especially. But anyway, and sidebar on that, yeah, go ahead. When I say uh, solidify the fourth line, I mean a little bit more than we've seen this year. Is Sevier in tonight? Is O'Connor in tonight? Is Lafferty in tonight? Okay, the only constant right now is that Mark Jankowski is centering that line. That's what I mean basically by solidifying. Yeah. And yes, Jankowski is the fourth line center right now, but uh, apart from last night, and by last night I mean Saturday night, excuse me, apart from Saturday night, Mark Jankowski has not shown that he can be effective with those type of minutes. Now, whenever all healthy, I do see the fourth line being Mark Jankowski, Jared McCann, and Sam Lafferty as of right now. Although I know that they like Evan Rodriguez, and when he gets healthy, it's going to be hard to keep him out of the lineup. But I, the way Lafferty played on Saturday, and we'll switch that in a second here, the way he played on Saturday makes me want to keep him in the lineup because he probably had his best game of the season on Saturday. But let me just finish one thing real quick. We'll get to that after a quick break. Jason Zucker broke through on Thursday night's game. Goal and an assist in the third period, and that led to an even better game on Saturday. So we'll get to that Saturday game after a quick break here from our sponsors. We'll be right back. This episode of the Tip of the Iceberg is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming, offering precision-engineered tools 
for your family jewels. Got a crazy bush? I may not be a contractor, but even I know that if you trim your hedges, your tree stands taller. This is why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Millions of balls are about to be nick-free thanks to Manscaped's new and improved Lawnmower 3.0, featuring advanced skin-safe technology to keep your soldier polished and cut free. If you're like me and like to handle this kind of business in the shower, the Lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof and features an LED light, so even guys as blind as I am can see what they're doing. If you are listening to me, you are one of the first people to hear about this life-changing product, and you too can experience it firsthand. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THPN at manscaped.com. Again, that's code THPN for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Trust me, your balls will thank you. Hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. We spent the first 18 and a half minutes talking about Thursday night's game, and it is a weird episode here, whereas obviously the main story should be Sidney Crosby's 1,000th game and the Penguins winning on Saturday by a score of 3-2. to two. But the only reason we put that other game before it is, one, chronologically, it did come before it, and two, Thursday is the best game the Penguins have played between that and last Sunday's game against the Capitals are the two best games the Penguins have played this season. So we definitely wanted to give it the time that it deserved there and a little bit of the commendation that the Penguins deserved in that game because they played extremely well on Thursday. But now, here is the lead story, the main story, of course. Sidney Crosby played on Saturday in his 1,000th game. We did want to talk a little bit about quickly about moments from his career that we liked, but we also... Had a very long conversation about this on our season finale of season one of the Tip of the Iceberg, episode 87. So if you want to hear our favorite moments of Sidney Crosby, go back and listen to that episode. And the only other things I wanted to bring up really quickly, the three Stanley Cups, obviously, massive, massive moments for Sidney Crosby. And it is kind of what has put a stamp on his legacy as of right now. And the other one that I wanted to mention is one that I, I know we didn't talk about. And it wasn't anything on the ice. It wasn't really anything away from the arena. That shot that the Penguins finished the celebration video on of Crosby walking into the locker room in 2017 and the champagne, the slow motion video, the champagne going all over the place, Crosby, arms raised with the cup. That is a legacy piece right there. That is a legacy picture. To know that that is his third Stanley Cup to know that he's walking in with basically his third different team taking to that, taken to that. I know there was a lot of rollover from 2016 to 2017, but if you look at those two teams, they were vastly different in the way that they got there. That was one of the coolest moments from that video montage that they showed on Saturday night, and I loved that, and I just wanted to bring that up one more time. Horwat, any other moments from that you saw during that video montage or that you can recall from Crosby's career that just, they stick out plain as day that aren't necessarily the, you know, the overtime winning goal in Vancouver, the winter classic shootout goal. What, what one of those moments stuck out to you on Saturday night? Uh, it wasn't anything from the video montage. It was 
probably had to be <clears throat> um, the tear starting up in his eye. That had to be it. That's the whole thing. Yeah, the whole video montage is great. Um, but we've seen it before. We, I mean, I asked the question is, which which video montage is more emotional? This one or Flurry's comeback? Because let's be honest, they both, cut, they both got to the player. Mm-hmm. And I'm just imagining the... I'm, imagine that montage with a crowd. I, you know, I mentioned, imagine that Leafs game with a crowd, right? Imagine this 1,000th game with a crowd, and it's a different atmosphere. I think you get a very, you get the lengthy standing ovation, you get the lengthy everything. I mean, it's it would have been interesting to see that with an audience. It sucks that, it, that we couldn't have it. Um, but yeah, I think him tearing up a little bit had to be the, highlight of the whole thing and especially i'm thinking about it and he and his quote was it was hard to keep it together especially whenever i saw gino not being able to you mean to tell me if kenny balkan has emotions like that <laughs> now i can't wait for his 1000th game to see him just bawling his eyes out but yeah the whole team was the whole thing was awesome i thought i mean i don't know how I mean, it's the first time a Penguin has ever done this, so I don't know what normal 1,000-game celebrations look like. I don't. I mean, we saw Matt Cullen's 1,500th, but that was a little different. It's not like he played every game there. Um, We just showed him the highlight reel through his career, got him the nice big picture, and went on from there. I mean, the Penguins also had, and I did not realize it was that long, haven't had a player at all hit 1,000 games in Pittsburgh since... Miroslav Satan, 2009. I could swear we had another one somewhere in there, but I guess not. Um, so it was uh, something. It was <clears throat> they really rolled out the red carpet in every way possible with the hour-long pregame on AT&T Sportsnet to <laughs> to the best parts, which was probably the warm-up, right? Oh yeah, the warm-up was definitely the funniest part of that entire setup. Because I just heard on the radio right before we started here that um, I guess the stuff the team did had a little bit more of an exclamation point because there wasn't an audience there. There wasn't a crowd. So Mm -hmm. the team kind of had to fill that void a little bit somehow. And, I mean, the warm-up thing is the perfect way of doing it, especially when it comes to it's the thousandth time he's doing it, everyone's wearing 87, (laughs) and... I, and of course, Sidney Crosby being Sidney Crosby, I know everyone in the team is getting in this picture with the silver stick. The mm-hmm. second he skated back over, so he's getting a whole team picture, isn't he? Because that's just what he does. It was the whole thing was totally Crosby, and yeah, I'm, whenever this is over, I'll probably watch the whole damn thing again. Yeah, that's for sure. Definitely something that you want to rewatch and rewatch again. And when you talk about which one is more emotional, this one or Flurry's comeback, obviously the fact that there were fans in the stands, it, it means a little, it, it adds a little something that the Crosby one didn't have. But to see Crosby tearing up, Mark Andre Flurry has always shown his emotions and he's always wore his emotions on his sleeve. Sidney Crosby, yeah, he's an emotional guy, but you don't see him get touched like that. And I know that's phrasing, but you don't see his feelings, like you don't see him start to tear up 
during post games or, or during milestones. It's usually just a, another notch in his belt. And he's like, okay, cool. 1000 points. That's, that's cool. All right. Third Stanley cup. Yeah. I'm excited. That's cool. Not really tearing up anything like that, but to see him brought to tears and it, it looked like it was Evgeny Malkin and, and Chris Letang's portion of the video that kind of just broke the dam. I'm sure the first person showing up being his sister, Taylor, and knowing the relationship that those two have together, that probably hit him hard off the bat. But yeah, it looked like it was Latang's comment when he said, you know, not only do I have a teammate that I loved playing with, but I have a friend and I know I'm going to have a friend for life. It seemed like that got to him. Yeah. And like you said, the warm up, everybody wearing 87, you saw that happening. Of course, they did that for many, many players. Wayne Gretzky comes to mind with L.A., but the fact that the team all dropped down and retied their skates exactly as Sidney Crosby did. And if you see, of course, the Penn's TV in the room shot that they got of that is going to be great because they already posted a little little quick look and quick peek at that on their Twitter page. So that's going to be a very special in the room. And it was a very special night and warm up for Sidney Crosby. But yeah, him getting brought to tears is something that I couldn't have seen coming. And I thought it was, it was just an amazingly handled celebration for Sidney Crosby on Sidney Crosby day in Pittsburgh. Thanks. For oh, that Bill was Peduto. Bill Peduto did something. All right. <laughs> um, nothing against Bill Peduto, I guess, but I mean, it wasn't even the fact that the mayor declared it Sidney Crosby day. It wasn't the fact that, I mean, we did all these great things. It got Crosby to be this emotional. And on top of that, his girlfriend does exist. We can officially <laughs> confirm that. Because let's be honest, for a long time, how many people were always asking, what is his personal life like? Is all of this real? Or is he really just a hockey robot that just powers down at the end of at, when the game's over and stays in the locker? No, he's got a real-life girlfriend, and it sucks that his whole family couldn't be there. But, um, hey, I'm sure a lot of Twitter just learned something about this guy. <laughs> and... Kathy, right? Exists. Yeah. A lot of people had no idea that he had a girlfriend. And, and the fact is he's had, he's been with her for a long time, but it's just a, a testament to how good he is at keeping his personal life personal and his hockey life in the same realm as his hockey life. So it, it's something that was very funny. You sent out that tweet. I'm sure a lot of people just found out for the first time that Sidney Crosby's in a relationship. And then right after that, I saw at least like 30 tweets of people saying, wait, he has a girlfriend. I think, I think we were, I think everyone was a little shook that she was there too. Like actually yeah. out on everyone was kind of like, wait, <laughs> like the people that even knew were like, wait, it's this real. Like this is how real it's getting. It's not, I was expecting Mario to walk out. And kind of just be like, just those two kind of doing the standing there. Th no. Oh. <laughs> Great stuff all around. So, yeah. I mean, what else can really be said about it, right? Yeah. And you look at the gifts he got. I would love to have one of the three gifts he got. His team got him probably a supremely expensive. It is a customized Rolex watch. watch. So I'm, I'm sure it's extremely expensive. Then, of course, he got the the generic forged silver stick, which is not generic at all because it's specifically made for him. Mm -hmm. And then of course, a collage of pictures from every single one of his 1000 games. I'd love to have that collage. And I know that they were selling different, uh, a painting as well. I did not end up going and getting that, but that collage, 
I'd love to be able to look through that and look at every single one of those 1,000 pictures. I think that would be absolutely insane. And then, of course, they, they capped the night off throughout the entire game with video messages from former teammates to players that are playing in the league now. We saw Ovechkin, McDavid, Stamkos, Patrick Kane, Tavares. Shea Weber, John Tavares, all of these shades. players just saying congratulations to Sidney Crosby. And I know... We were talking about his tears, but the second Billy Garen's face popped up during that pregame one, Sid couldn't contain his laughter. And me it's and, great. Yeah, me and Megan were watching, and I kept thinking, we were both like, all right, which who's going to be the first one to make him crack? Because he's going to laugh at something here. Yeah. I'm thinking they're going to pop Ovechkin up there, and that's going to be the one. I was really waiting for Ovechkin to be in there, because I figured they had Steve Yeisman, and I get why they had that one in. That was the player he idolized growing up. Um. <laughs> But I was absolutely just waiting to see Ovechkin in there, like, you know, with his little statement. But, I mean, yeah, Billy G's face. And I don't remember Billy G's um, video that much, but it seemed, like, very awkward. It seemed like he was very barely in the frame. And it was just mostly his Minnesota Wild office. Yep. <laughs> As only Bill Guerin can do. But Always working. Yeah. Great stuff all around. And, I mean, I just got to ask you, what was the most – interesting player they got because i think because i think ben roethlisberger's little little video was a an electric factory and b oh big ben you great stuff you might not be here next year the big ben one was a little awkward i don't know it almost seemed scripted but i know that those two are close so it but it's also wasn't but it's also ben so you knew it was gonna be awkward yeah ben's not much of it's weird because he's much of a public speaker when he's talking about football, but when he's talking about literally anything else, he struggles a little bit. But it, I that think... one was a little weird. I was surprised to see Shea Weber's, and I don't know why because yeah, I know these one... guys were close when they played on Team Canada together. So it, it just it surprised me a little bit that he popped out and had his there. Uh, Mark Andre Fleury's was was funny, and Evgeny Malkin's was the best. It, it's Absolutely. hard. It, you can't argue the fact that Evgeny Malkins was the best saying what he said and pass me the puck. Pass me the that's puck. what he finished with pass me puck more and I, I thought it was hilarious which that's as only Malkin can I just I brought up the Ben one because it hits a certain note in Pittsburgh sports that soon enough him I should say whenever I say him I mean Ben Crosby Malkin Flurry's already gone and Kutch is already gone they're all not gonna be here and it's going to be a completely new crop of guys from our good teams from the mid-2000s to late-2000s to the early 2010s of these guys that were pumping out championships to you know playoff runs to just great moments. It's going to be a completely different crop of athletes in Pittsburgh that I think the fact that Ben did one this year, if you if you would have done it last year, I would have thought nothing of it. I'd have been like, yeah, it's just pittsburgh sports helping out pittsburgh sports but the fact that ben is at a crossroads in his career really i mean he might not be on the team next year he might be retiring next year who knows how that's all gonna turn out uh, but the fact that he that it was this year that this all happened it kind of set a point of now we all realize that this isn't gonna last forever and i mean crosby's thousandth, thousandth game let's be honest should have been a long time ago Malkin's thousandth game should have been a long time ago. Now we're at this point where they're hitting a thousand games while Ben is at a crossroads. So 
Pittsburgh sports sports is about to have a huge change in the near future that we all have to be ready for. And I think that little video kind of solidified a point of, yeah, these all these guys are getting old. They're all getting old. They're all losing their luster a little bit. So enjoy it while we can. And yeah, I thought I just thought that was the best one, or at least the most personal one mm-hmm. for Pittsburgh sports. Well, yeah. whereas flurries obviously made me smile, and Gino being Malkin. And, of course, other ones like Tyler Kennedy's, Max Talbot's, any of those guys from 2009 or the early mm-hmm. 2000s teams. Ruslan like, Fedotenko got one in there. I thought yeah. that was weird, but, yeah. Colby Armstrong's was great, as only Colby Armstrong can do. But after all of this, there was a, a game, game happened. to be played. And it was a it was, pretty good game at that. Yeah, I, I will say this. Though. It was one of those games where you kind of don't care about the outcome. At least I – like, you have this moment of, like, yeah, you care if we win or lose – but it's Crosby's thousandth game, and that's kind of what's gonna be the talking point, almost no matter what, unless like some big injury happens, which it almost did. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like it was one of those games where you're like, oh, we're, you know, we we lost the lead. Yeah, well, well, Crosby's Crosby ceremony was cool, right, guys? We got something, kind of got something to look back on, rather than, hey, we lost badly, but hey, let's talk about this instead. That's kind of how I felt watching the whole game. Like, it'd be great if we won. We're not. It, this is kind of a weird game to watch, but we had something there. Also, you said um, that Capitals game was it was the ugliest win you've seen in a while. I think this was the ugliest win I've seen in a while. It didn't look great. It looked better than that Capitals win to me. I, I think it looked okay. a lot better than that Capitals win. And what you're saying there is with. The whole, oh, well, at least we had the ceremony. The game was kind of an afterthought to you. It kind of reminds me of the Mike Lang game where they honored Mike Lang last year, get up to a one nothing lead really early, so early, in fact, that Mike Lang couldn't get back up to the broadcast to call <laughs> that goal, and then they didn't score the rest of the game and lost 4-1 to to Winnipeg. And it was almost like, wow, really? Not only did you get killed, but you scored one goal that he wasn't even in the booth for. So... It, it doesn't really matter. The, the the spectacle of the pregame kind of overshadows the actual game. But in this game, it all flowed through the entire way through the night. And that was something that was pretty cool. Now, it didn't start off well because, as I mentioned, when we were talking about Thursday's game, they gave up a lot of shots in the first period because they did not come out firing on all cylinders. They were outshot 16-4 to in the opening frame. How much of a problem were what? Let's dig into it now because we didn't earlier. How much of a problem are these slow starts? They're a big problem because we know our goalies can't do this forever. We, they can't. I mean, it's the second game in a row where we've given up a lot of shots in the first period, and Tristan Jari has stopped all of them. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's cool. It's good that he's turning his game around. That's what we want to see from him. That's not going to last forever. We know he is still human, and Casey DeSmith, by God, probably wouldn't be able to do that. And once you get down early, you're not coming back from it. Not this team, at least, I don't think. We've seen it before. Yeah, we've seen this come back before, but let's say two or three of those 16 go in. That's not staying. We're not getting back from that early. I mean, Especially against a team that's that defensively stout. Yeah, a team that's that defensively stout getting 16 shots in the first period. It's ugly. But Jari is able to stand on his head and look good at least. Yeah, that was... If there was anything to take from the first period, it was the fact that Tristan Jari is starting to look a lot like the Tristan Jari that went to the All-Star game last year. And the last four games, that entire homestand, Tristan Jari looked great. But the team, defensively, 
did not look great. But the defense, offensively, as I mentioned in the last episode, this defense is great when it comes to the offensive side of the puck. The defensive side of the puck, not as much. But on the offensive side, they scored all of the goals on Saturday night, leading to the 3-2 to two victory. Latang gets two goals. Mike Matheson pots his first as a Pittsburgh Penguin. Prior to that, the defense had only three goals all season, and those two did not account for any of those three. So they matched their total amount of all season on Saturday night. How nice was it to see Chris Letang starting to get some goals in the net? <laughs> it felt great. <laughs> it's about damn time. Mm -hmm. Could have used that a couple weeks ago, but oh well, I digress. We're here, and it's so we got off to a slow start slow start. I don't know. How many assists did he have? It's not like he wasn't producing that much. I mean, he just looks terrible defensively. And the amount of pinching the defense is doing isn't helping anything. Um, but I say that because the, the defense did all of the scoring for us, that's kind of what led its hand to it not being a phenomenal game for us. Um, granted, again, Mike Matheson looking better and better every day, which is what you want to see out of that guy, especially. Um, Chris Letang seems to be turning it on a little bit more. Again, something you want to see out of that guy. That's great stuff. I mean, the rest of the defense, I mean, their def Madison's defensive play, <laughs> not the greatest, not the sharpest. On the Everly goal is what I'm assuming you're talking about. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. See, Him and Joseph both, but. Yeah, I was going to say, Joseph is not completely absolved from that situation. No, but they both kind of just continued to back away from him when... yeah uh, it, it just looked uh, to me it looked worse for joseph because he was covering he was there. yeah he was covering eberly eberly made a move and joseph just kind of like went right back to the other guy that matheson was already covering and yes i understand that matheson's job on there is probably to cut off eberly and come in support but it was just a lack of communication and the one thing i do want to ask before we keep going here there were a lot of line changes that happened in the third period. Did you happen to see what happened to P.O. Joseph? Did he just get benched or did he get injured? So Joseph, I didn't notice. I didn't notice the defense get changed that much. The defense got changed almost as much, if not more, than the forwards to me. I saw Cody Cece on the, on the first pairing with Chris Letang, and then I saw also Marcus Pedersen on the first pair with Chris Letang at points. In the no, third see, that's period. interesting. I didn't notice that at all. Maybe because I was too caught up in trying to watch our forward lines because the second Malkin went down, everything kind of went into shuffle. Mm -hmm. Like, Malkin went down. We immediately put Jankowski up there because we're not separating that third line. And then next thing you know, that third line's completely all over every line. Yeah. It seemed like they completely moved all three of Tanev, Asenaris, and Bluger to be on different lines. It was very interesting and very weird, which is it's good to see that we're willing to break that line up if we yeah. ever so need to. I mean, but Tanev going up to the first line because we don't know what the hell happened with Kapanen until we find out he got benched for some reason. Um, But according to, I did just get sent a story on it. It didn't seem like it was a... Uh, a it just seemed like it was a play issue, not so much a personal thing where he did the old yelling at a coach like line A. No, this just seemed to be a whole case of, yeah, he's just not doing well, and we needed people who could do well, so we sat him. Yeah, for Kapanen at least, I have no idea. There's been nothing on P.O. Joseph. I've looked at all 
of Pittsburgh reporters that had, were able to talk to Sullivan yesterday. None of them said anything about P.O. Joseph. I know the big storyline was Sidney Crosby, and, and Tristan Jari was a big storyline as well. But and so was this Kapanen thing. So was the Kapanen thing because he's a first-line winger that ended up getting benched and playing fourth-line minutes. At least I think I, he had a minute and 30 seconds of ice time in the third period. I but saw one shift in the third, I think is what one I shift. saw. Yeah. But um, even outside of that, though, I think before Kapanen got there, I thought the fourth line was looking good for once. It was. Like, Jankowski was getting chances. Lafferty was getting chances. O'Connor looked good again. I mean, like I said, none of this was looking great and not and nothing, you know, hitting the back of the net, but getting opportunities and getting chances and free space. I, and I don't, I, maybe I just look at Kapanen as, looking Kapanen as only as positives. I just never notice his negatives. I don't know what the hell happened to the, I don't know what the hell happened that he would, have that uh benching and demotion maybe it's just the fact that he's not scoring or producing like he should be i don't know it looked weird but it hit shuffle on everything and made everything confusing to watch for the rest of the day because the lines turned into tanev on the first jankowski on the second for a little while and then that fourth line just hit got shuffled as well mm-hmm well, there was an initial shuffle when Malkin got hurt. Then Malkin was able to come back. And then there was another shuffle at the beginning of the third period. And that's the one that more people paid attention to. With Malkin injured, yeah, that makes sense. You have to figure something out, especially with as much time that was left in the game. But at the beginning of the third period, there was no issue with Evgeny Malkin's health at that point, at least. And Kapanen, of course, due to the way that he played, Mike Sullivan said it plainly. I didn't think he was having a good game. And I wanted to win this game and thought the best course of action was to put Kasperi Kapanen on the fourth line or on the, yeah, on the fourth line and, or barely play him. Now he was replaced by a guy like Sam Lafferty who had his best game. As you mentioned, the fourth Mm -hmm. line had chances. Sam Lafferty hit two posts on Saturday night and he was absolutely buzzing for the second straight game. He got the Edgar Snyder's hit of the game, which is, Good to see Sam Lafferty. I mean, he has so much speed. It's nice to see that he's willing to be physical with it as well. But puck possession and opportunities. That's as far as he went with the best game of his season. And if he does stuff like that, he's going to be able to stay in the lineup. All of these guys on the fourth line. You mentioned Drew O'Connor. Even Mark Jankowski. Because if Evan Rodriguez comes back and Jankowski isn't playing well, they would try Rodriguez out as a fourth line center in a heartbeat because of how much Sullivan likes him. So, all of these guys have something to play for right now, and it is their spot in the lineup because these other players are skating, are starting to get back onto the ice. So there's a lot of position battles that are going to be going on in the next couple of weeks, and Sam Lafferty keeps playing the way he did on Saturday. He'll keep his spot in the lineup easily. Yeah. Yeah, that's what he has to do. I mean, we want him to play. We The, the organization wants him to be in the lineup because he can bring something different. To the team not it's not the same game as the high flying and scoring that we would see from a first line and it's more than just a grinding type and a defensive type that we'd see from our bottom pair bottom uh six he brings something different that's kind of why we like him and we have him in there mm-hmm. uh, and we want him to do well it's just if he doesn't it's the name of the game the different style of play is cool but it's got to work yeah, and 
so far, he's played pretty well the last couple of games. So he'll probably get the opportunity to stay in. And, I mean, that sucks for Colton Sevier, who is kind of going to go in if somebody else is struggling right now. Yeah. And right now, both of those players had a good game. I would fully expect both of those players, being O'Connor and Lafferty, to be in the lineup on Tuesday when the Pens take on the Capitals again. But it was nice to see those depth players playing well, not necessarily scoring, but still playing well, controlling the puck not giving up as many opportunities as they'd given up previously. And it was a good two games for Sam Lafferty. Somebody else it was a really good two games for was Jason Zucker. I already mentioned earlier in the episode, they had a goal and assist in the third period on Thursday. I think he played a much better game on Saturday. He had a lot more jump in his step. His puck possession was off the charts. And I think his skating was a lot better. It was really good. And he gave himself some opportunities deking around defenseman, getting an opportunity, shooting the puck when he had an open lane. And the chemistry between him and Malkin for the first time this season is starting to look like it did last year before we went into the return to play protocol. Yeah, looked, he looked good finally. I mean, he didn't break through for anything last night, but I mean, so be it. You got to play, you got to start somewhere. And he is a goal scorer that we know he can do great things. Mm -hmm. It'll come to him. Kind of just waiting for the curve to happen, I guess. Yeah. It'll get keep, to him. Yeah, if he keeps getting opportunities like he did on Saturday, the numbers will start to follow. Absolutely. That's kind of how we looked at, you know, Latang to start the season or Malkin to start the season. And while both of those kind of dragged on longer than we would have liked, that's kind of what we were expecting at first. Like, the things, the opportunity just has to get to him. It's on its way. We'll just give it the time. Again, like I said, those two lasted a little longer than he wanted them to. But for Zucker, it's good that it's we can he's just hitting it, so we can have the expectation of the opportunity is gonna gonna roll itself to him mm -hmm. sooner rather than later. Especially this deep into the season, everyone's kind of flowing and finding their footing. Yeah. Before we get into Tristan Jari to close out this game, we also forgot to mention that Sidney Crosby in his one thousandth game had two assists. Yeah. So, <laughs> they because were not of course he did. crazy assists but you know it's Sidney Crosby he put the points on the board that's what he's supposed to do it's what he's here for and his first one was a secondary assist on a power play goal by Crystal Tang which was for the first time an easy goal on the power play just Crosby to Malkin and Latang one timer goal easy second one he was below the net great vision out to Latang Latang second snipe of the game so Chris Latang obviously had a great game Sidney Crosby Knowing where the hot hand is in the third period and going to Latang, a good decision on his part. But let's talk about Tristan Jari because it's pretty irrefutable that Tristan Jari stole that game on Saturday night. Is it not? Uh, no, I can totally agree that he did. He still, I mean, he yes, he made the great saves, made, made enough to collect a win, obviously. It still just seemed like he was a little all over the place. Did it? Some, and there were certain points where I feel like he didn't know where the puck was. Again, like I said, he made great great saves made the important saves and made the big ones made the ones that he was supposed to mm -hmm. um you like to have that second one back but there's not much you can do and literally all you can see is a number mm -hmm. i mean he just i mean that puck i second whoever it was i forget now shot it i was like that's going in because jari literally cannot see past two guys that are this close to him and if, for those of you not watching i guess <laughs> um, I'm holding my two hands up very close to each other because he couldn't see anything. And it was very evident whenever 
there was an entire half of the net just sitting there for uh, the Islanders defenseman. So, you know, that one you'd like to have back and you just move a little. But, I mean, again, it's – I thought he looked a little all over the place, but he was able to hone it in enough. Maybe this is just kind of how he plays, a little Marc-Andre Fleury type when he was young, just going everywhere but making the saves because he can. Hashik-like, just kind of sprawling athleticism but keeping pucks out of the net and that's really all that matters as long as the puck stays out but boy it gives me heart attacks <laughs> that's maybe that's kind of how i looked at it i just felt like there was a lot of moments where i'm seeing loose pucks sit there and i'm like is someone gonna collect that or is it just gonna be batted into the back of our net rebound control would be nice but again he got a win so i'm not too angry at it just mm-hmm. if he can hone it in just a touch more we're good. Again, he's playing great. He's ma- he's getting us wins. He's stopping everything that he can. He had, you know, great periods whenever we're letting up 16 shots. So it's not terrible, but I want to see it just a touch better. Just a little. Just a little. I don't necessarily think I saw exactly what you're, you're saying you saw with him, him kind of Hashik-like and flying all over the place. I, okay, Hashik's a bit of, a bit of well, an extreme. I, I, yeah, I know what you're <laughs> saying is it, it's a bit Hashik-like. Obviously, nobody is Hashik-like looking like he's flying through the air, he's like Superman trying backwards. to make every save. But yeah, I, I get what you mean, meaning saying he was not always positionally sound and he was making some diving saves or some sprawling saves. I didn't necessarily notice that as much. I did notice the rebound control was a little bit off, but luckily the defensemen were able to pick it up. I I know specifically I remember a couple plays by Mike Matheson and Cody Ceci where they were able to clear rebounds pretty pretty well to help Tristan Jari. Otherwise, it might have been an opportunity for the Islanders to put a puck in the back of the net. But I think overall Tristan Jari played a very good game, and he played a very good homestand. He was 3-1 during that homestand, playing every single game. 2.25 goals allowed average and a 936 save percentage. That is exactly where he was last season. So that is something that if you're the Pittsburgh Penguins, you are ecstatic to see Tristan Jari playing the way he has. And it looks even better whenever he's challenging more. At the beginning of the season, he was doing the same thing Murray did last season. He was staying back in his net, being small in his net, giving up openings over his glove side, over his blocker side. And now what he's doing, he's taking the angles away. He's getting out of the crease and he's playing aggressive. And I think that's something that has helped him tremendously in these past four games. What do you think has led to his performance during that homestand? I think he's just kind of honing it in a little bit. Because, yeah, like I said, he played a little young flurry or Hashik-like. But he's getting his confidence in. I mean, the beginning of the season, it, it may have just been like a learning curve of, I am the number one. There's no one else here to support me if I start falling apart. And maybe it was just a little nerves or something, a little psychology game going on. But, um, you know, he's got his feet under him. Goalies are just voodoo, so it's kind of hard to tell anyway. And especially without a preseason, you kind of don't have some warm-up. You're just jumping right into it. But again, I mean, we're this far into the season. It's not an excuse anymore. But... He wasn't good then, whenever that was an excuse. Mm-hmm. Now here we are where that's no longer an excuse and he's putting together wins. So maybe this is just what he needed, just to get his feet wet, get into the game a little bit, catch up to speed. And here we are. Now he's winning. So I don't 
I'm not too angry at it anymore. It's just, it took him a second. Again, he's the only one. There's no 1A, 1B situation. It is 1 and 2. He's the one, and we're relying on him. And we're plowing through games where you would think, like, maybe DeSmith gets this start. No, it's Jari again. So he's here. He's the number one, and we're relying on him. And he's picking up ways where he should be. Now, over his career, he has had a lot of success against the New York Islanders. So that might play a part in it in these past two games, the way that he's played. I believe now he's 5-1 and one in his career against the New York Islanders. But also, he's always played well at home. He is a very good home goaltender. And that might also lead to the fact that in this homestand, he's comfortable playing at PPG Paints Arena. So that could be something. Also... He's somebody that plays better when he gets multiple starts in a row. He's somebody that plays mm -hmm. better when it is his net and it's nobody taking it from him. Almost kind of like if you watched the movie Miracle or if you were alive in 1980, it's like Jim Craig. Man, you can't take that net away from me. That is my net. And that is what Tristan Jari is doing right now. He's saying, listen, Casey D. Smith, he helped out earlier in the season, but right now that is my net, man. And Mike Sullivan is not going to take that away from him. I definitely think Tristan Jari gets to start on Tuesday against the Capitals. Maybe Thursday he gets a break with the back-to-back -back coming up next weekend in Long Island, or on Long Island, excuse me. But I do think that he gets to start on Tuesday against Washington. But he's a guy that we saw it last year. He was an all-star whenever he was the 1A and Matt Murray was barely getting starts. For some reason at the turn of the year, the Penguins made a concerted effort to try to get Matt Murray into more games, and Tristan Jari's play, his level of play, it decreased. So it's pretty known fact now that Tristan Jari plays better when he is given the reins and when he's given the net and said, listen, it's yours to lose. At the beginning of the season, he played poor enough that he lost it. Now that he's at this level again, I think it's his to lose again. Yeah. No, no, I agree with that. You're good. And it's, he's the number one. Mm -hmm. There's a couple other things I wanted to ask you. Just quick questions about the state of the Pittsburgh Penguins as a whole after these couple of games. And right now, of course, the Penguins winning four of their last five back into playoff positioning as of right now. Does the home and road record split worry you at all? Of course, the Penguins right now are 7-1-0 and zero at home, which is fantastic. But they're also 2-5-1 and one on the road. Does that bother you at all, knowing how big of a discrepancy there is between those two records? Not yet. Not yet. Not yet, at least. I mean, it's so hard this year. I mean, I don't know how many times I have said it and how many times I will still say it. The divisions are weird this year. You only play the same teams, and you can't lose games like that. But you also can't rely on other teams to do some of your dirty work for you you gotta go get it yourself i don't think it's a concern yet um because we are in a playoff spot and i mean half your games are at home you got something to look forward to there that if you're able to collect a good record at home and collect a decent one on the road you got something going for you and it's not terrible i don't know it's just hard because i don't look into stats like that i didn't even realize we'd only had two road victories um that's just the way I see it. I mean, as long as you are winning somewhere and collecting the right amount of wins, I don't care if it is home or away, you got wins, you got points, and that's the important piece. They don't ask how or where or when. They ask how many. 
So that's the way I see it. It Yeah, it sucks we're not winning on the road, considering it seems like we've played most of our games on the road this year. But, again, we have enough wins to be in a playoff spot right now. Whether they were home or away, we're winning. Yeah, I think it is a little bit of a concern if it continues. Uh, basically what you said there, they don't ask how, they don't ask where, they ask how many. And question, is that something that you heard somewhere? Because I'm trying to remember the origin of this. Where did that come from? Oh, it's definitely an old saying. I know that. Okay, I, I didn't know if you made it up no. <laughs> because we've been using it over the past month basically in every episode, so I just wanted to ask that really quickly. It's just in the back of my mind I had to ask, but the split right now, 7-1-0 at home, that's great, and you want to be a good home team, but the, here's the thing. It's going to be very tough for the Pittsburgh Penguins to become a first or second seed in this division, which means you're not going to have home ice advantage in the playoffs. They need to get better performances on the road. And it did seem like they were on the road a lot in the first couple of weeks because they were. After the Prior to this four-game homestand, their splits were eight road games versus four home games. Of course, they spent the last week and a half at home, so that evened out to eight and eight now as far as games home versus road. But the fact that the Penguins are dominant on home ice, at least their record states that. that they're, some of their games weren't, but their record states that they're dominant on a home ice and very not great on the road. That's something that could be an issue if it continues going forward. The other thing I wanted to ask you, the Penguins, after Saturday night's victory against the New York Islanders, are 3-1 and one against both the Capitals and the Islanders, two teams that a lot of experts are saying are going to be their competition to get into the playoffs. That 3-4 and four seed is going to be between the three teams that I just mentioned, the Islanders, the Capitals, and the Penguins. The fact now that the Penguins have a 3-1 and one record against both of those teams, how massive is that especially because the next four games guess what we're playing the same two teams as again it's it's huge because those because again you're only playing your division so every game is a big swing in the in the standings um especially if you can beat them especially if you can beat them um even if it's just by one game that you get that you beat them by it's something it's it's an important victory and is where you move on from yeah i think it's very important that we're collecting wins against those sort of teams. Yeah, it's you got to win against everyone, but you got to do your own dirty work this year. Like I said, you have to beat the teams that you are going to be near and around um, come the end of the season, standings wise. And if we're able to collect those wins now, <clears throat> it'll be good going forward as well. You definitely want to win the regular season series against teams like the Capitals and the Islanders because. Guess what? You haven't played a single game against the Buffalo Sabres. You haven't played a single game against the New Jersey Devils. And while I get those teams are, they're a lot better than basement dwellers in a division usually are. Yeah. They are a lot better. Trust me. Let's not take them lightly at all because we saw what happened over the, over the weekend. Their Sabres played the Devils really well. Last week, the Devils played, I believe it was the Capitals or the Rangers, somebody, the Rangers, in their first game back. And they played them really well and won the game. These aren't easy games to win, but here's the thing. If you can get great records against the Islanders, against the Capitals, they're about 500 right now against the Rangers. They're 0-2 against Philly. They're 0-2 against Boston, but they got a point in one of those games. You need to start playing well against the top tier because guess what? While those teams aren't a joke in Buffalo, New Jersey, those wins should come easier to you than a game against Boston, than a game against Philly, than a game against these two teams. So 
finish your work in the next week against the Caps and the Islanders. You will only have two left against those two teams after this week. And then go to work on the Buffalo Sabres. Go to work on the on the Rangers. I mean, we're, we're roughly 500 against the Rangers this year. Now, I get that they're a good team, but they have not been able to perform against many other teams in the league right now. you got to win the games you need to win, which is all the games against New Jersey, all the games against Buffalo. What did I say last week? If you can collect 16 wins there, that'd be great. Oh. You definitely won't be able to, but hey, getting... I forget what number I came up with after that. I think I said like 12 out of the two, at least. So you want them to be 12 and twelve and 4. That would make sense. Losing two to each of them would make sense. I just shot numbers out last week. Yeah. It, sh- it should be 16. It should be 16 wins. Well, yeah. You would, you, you would well, think. You should always shoot for 16 wins, but eight games against the same team. We saw it in the St. Louis versus Arizona seven straight games because the season is wild. And, of course, it ended 4-3 to three because you play a team that many times, yeah. they're going to figure it out at some point. But with it being a little staggered, you know, you kind of fall into a different rhythm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you aim for 16 wins, especially against teams like that. But, like I said, if you can come out with at least – I'm going to say more than 10 for sure. Mm-hmm. More than 10. So give it 12-13. I think you're looking good especially against those teams because those are important points nonetheless. Yeah, they're not the great teams that probably aren't going to make the playoffs anyway, but they are important points for you to collect. I mean, who knows? Maybe those teams, yeah, they lose to us, but maybe they go on a heater at some point and beat teams like the Capitals or the Flyers. You know, maybe the Flyers or the Capitals only collect an eight, an, an eight spot against those two. Maybe they go even. Who knows? It's and like I said, maybe you throw in um, some uh, what's it called overtime losses in there. You never know what even those ones can do. Mm-hmm. It's important to collect the wins though, especially when you're only playing your division. You have to get the regulation wins. You can't be giving out points um, willy nilly like that, especially with how close this is going to be. I mean, Boston and Buffalo only separated by ten points. A hot swing, yeah, it's far, and those two teams are probably going to stay there for the rest of the year, but a hot swing, dude, that that could change in, like, two weeks. And not only that, um, between Boston, who's leading the division, and us, who is fourth, and the Islanders, who are one out, uh, it's three points. It's three points. Every game is important in this division. It's so tight. Um. So you gotta keep an eye on everything. You gotta get the. You gotta collect the wins where you can, and those are important games for us. We just gotta get to them. Yep. And the first time we will play either of those teams is a matchup in Buffalo on March 11th. So we still have a little ways away until we we play one of those two teams. But like you said it perfectly, you gotta get the wins when you can against those teams. And the performance that you've had against the Capitals and the Islanders so far it has been good. Three and one against both of those te- teams is a good start. You have yet to play in Washington. That is going to be interesting on Tuesday, the first road game against the Capitals. We're done playing the Caps in Pittsburgh. So we swept them at home. That's a good start. Let's see what they can do on the road. But we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, Horwath has a little bit to say about NHL outdoor games. And then we'll finish off this episode with our Pens poll. We'll be right back.
Yeah, it's gonna be really interesting. Like, I like Pinto, and I, I remember everyone like. And this is the thing that I think Sense fans need to start realizing: we need to stop looking at the draft. We really need to stop looking at a player being like, he was drafted way too early. You know who you can make an argument who was drafted way too late? Mark Stone. Sixth round pick and now he's making nine and a half million dollars. Pajot, drafted I think in the fifth round and making five million. Hoffman. Welcome to the Sense Hour Podcast, your number one source for Sense content, part of the Hockey Podcast Network, hosted by Shane from Ottawa and... And Derek from Muskoka, almost near Leaf Country out here. Um, but I think Clevin was, was right up there because they traded up to get him uh, with the Leafs. And again, they, they passed up some talented players for a guy like Clevin, but now Clevin's all of a sudden looking like a talented player himself. Like that goal that he scored um, in the third game in UND was outrageous. It was just not something you're expecting from the Twitter scouts, especially. <laughs> Sends our podcast, your number one stop for all your Senators content. New episodes coming at you every Monday and Thursday, part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Have a good one. Stay safe. Take care. A lot can be said about the NHL and their return outdoors but one thing can definitely be said and that is i would love to vacation in lake tahoe <laughs> i would love to vacation there i'd love to play on that golf course but what you're not having the same lovey feelings about the nhl's return to outdoors are you um i don't know about them anymore i uh, listen so everyone's gonna have their opinions on them first and foremost we all know this everyone's going to have their stance and I get why the NHL is doing it. It is an attempt to grow the game. It is an attempt to put eyes on the product. When the product is garbage, it's not good. I Don't get me wrong. Every Almost every game that has been played outdoors has looked phenomenal. And whenever I say game, I mean the view. I mean... The optics of it. The I mean Yeah, I mean the view. I mean the atmosphere. I do not mean the gameplay in any way, shape, or form. Do I mean the gameplay in most outdoor games? Um, and this one, this Lake Tahoe one, at least the first one, we haven't seen the second one yet. We're recording it before that happens. Um, it kind of put a big old highlight on the issues that the NHL has faced in these outdoor games. And it's ironically not completely because of bad weather. It is because of good weather and the fact that you are trying to keep a sheet of ice well-known um well-known loser when it comes to battles against sunlight (laughs) i mean don't get me wrong it looked the whole thing looked beautiful it It looked phenomenal great postcard postcard worthy stuff but the second i flipped the game on i missed like the intros and stuff um, but i flipped the game on the first thing i saw on the ice was a bunch of gray spots I said to myself, or I said it to a friend, I forget exactly, but I said, they are not finishing this game. Because as the game went on, I could see the puck wasn't moving. I could see it was getting chippy. I could see the guys weren't able to skate. The referees weren't able to skate. The ice crew wasn't able to stay on their feet. Everyone was eating shit. And the point where like the gray spots kept getting bigger, and you could start to like see the grates underneath. like It looked like they were playing on a grid. That's not how ice is supposed to look, indoor or outdoor. It looks like they were playing on your local public skating rink. You know? Again, it looked great. 
It looked phenomenal, but the play was horrible. And this is from one period of play. I ended up not watching the rest of the game because it was, you know, at midnight hour time. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I just, the, the play was horrible, first of all. It really was. You know, you can say, oh, it's outdoor game. Give it what it is. Play has been horrible. I don't. I can't think of too many games where the play was good in outdoor games. Maybe the the stadium series in Pittsburgh against the Flyers. That one didn't seem terrible. But I mean, the first one in Buffalo, it was one to one, and the Penguins' first goal came in like twenty seconds into the game. It's hard. I get it. It's hard to play a hockey a hockey game outside because you are against the elements. You are against the weather and just how ice reacts outside it gets rough may i just think it might be time for the end of it because yeah it looks great on tv but i mean the atmosphere there i mean i've been to all the penguins outdoor games so i can say the atmosphere at those stadiums is awesome you can't see shit though half the time you really can't you're so far away especially considering the penguins have only played in football fields we've never been to a baseball stadium so i don't know what that experience is like um but I just think the I think the baseball field one's weird because you have to set the ice up in a weird way that you might be able to see less in most areas of the seating area. I just think I just think this is it's not dead in the water because they're gonna continue trying this anyway. Like Gary Bettman has said, this whole stoppage and replaying at midnight Eastern time, it's not gonna happen. But if it, it really the Lake Tahoe game really did just highlight all the issues that the NHL has faced when it comes to this. It's weather, it's moving the game, and it's just the bad gameplay. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many times have they moved start times for, for uh, winter classics or outdoor games? I remember 2011 was supposed to be a noon start. They moved that uh, to, like, prime time, which makes more sense anyway. Why would you not want that game on prime time? Um, I think that stadium series one I mentioned against Philadelphia here in Pittsburgh, I think that one was moved, but that's also because it was like 70 degrees the entire weekend before. Yeah. Cause I, I can remember me and you walking around in shorts, in shorts and t-shirts the day before, which don't get me, like I said, the spectacle of the whole thing, the atmosphere there is awesome. There's always things to do cause they bring the whole like party stuff around i would the, the one in philadelphia zone. was cool yeah the fanfare is always there it's so cool being there then you get to the gameplay and you're let down by all of it i mean like that one definitely got moved because it was like 70 degrees the day before um i want to say and i want to say a few others have been moved around because weather and sunlight and timing if, if you're gonna do it you got to do it right and you just didn't do it right there don't get me wrong looked beautiful and it's something that opens up the options of where you want to do these outdoor games because it was on a golf course in front of a lake. But you got to do it right. That's all there is to it. I mean, when the ice is that bad, you genuinely are creating a risk to the players. That's the uh, that's the other big part of it. Like I said, even the ice crew couldn't skate on it. It didn't look good. I, I will end my rant there and let you bring up more discussion points if you have any. I had a bunch of notes. I don't think I looked down at them once. It Shot was a- from the hip that whole time, but uh, I think I got it. 
it, it was a beautifully constructed argument, and I, I, I commend you because you did a very good job, except for the beginning when you said that they do this for growing the game. They do this to get eyes on the – no, they do this to get money, especially yeah. this year. They, the sole purpose of these outdoor games is to get money, it is to get more viewership, is to get more fans in the stands that pay much more money for a ticket and they pay much more money for the merchandise. It's to create New Jersey opportunities. Yeah. It's all circled around the almighty dollar. Yeah, that was the Jersey thing is a point I wanted to get to. You can continue if you had another point. As far as the outdoor games go, they are going to be something that is a staple with the NHL moving forward because of how much money they do make. We're not going to see what we're seeing or what we saw last weekend on Lake Tahoe as soon as fans are allowed back in the stands because you're not going to want to have something like that where you can't have 17,000, 18,000 people in attendance. The only reason it was at Lake Tahoe is because there is no way we can get fans in the stands. And while you're doing that, you might as well do something to make money. And let's not lie, I had people that don't watch hockey very often sending me pictures with that they were watching that at the beginning yeah. of the game, and that's exactly what they want to do. Viewership goes up with the new TV deal coming. That is huge. That is going to help the NHL's bottom line, and that's a smart play by Gary Bettman and Donald Fair. But here's the thing. It's going to continue to happen. It mm-hmm. is not safe during the day. I understand that. And listen, it was not safe by any means on Saturday afternoon, and that's why they moved it to a night game. I understand why you wanted it today. The the pictures and the view during the day at Lake Tahoe in that first period, if you ignored what you were seeing on the ice, it was an amazing view. But as far as gameplay and safety of players goes, it's better played at night. I get the view's not going to be there. I get you're not going to get the postcards. You're not going to get the fantastic photography. But at the same time, it is about the game. And if you want to make it about growing the game, make sure the game can be as good as it can possibly be outdoors. And it's not going to be like that in California in the end of February on Lake Tahoe. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. It, when you say California, it was Northern California. It was still like 30 some degrees. Sure. Yeah. Still counts. Um, and a thing to that too is you're counting these games. You're counting that game. Like that is... And when you're only playing your division, that's a swing game. Two great teams like that, maybe one of them hits a cold streak toward the end of the year. If they miss, Vegas lost. If they miss the playoffs by two points, oh, they're going to be pissed. And I don't don't think I totally blame them. Granted, it's two points. You could have gotten it somewhere else. But I could see where they'd be coming from with, we had a game that started on choppy garbage ice, was delayed on a bunch of hours and we just had to go right back to it against Nathan McKinnon who decided to take the rest of the game for himself. I could see where they'd be coming from, but again, you it's the argument of we'll get a couple points somewhere else and you're fine. Um, still though, you're counting these games in the standings. I think that it's not an issue. I get it, but it's weird whenever let's say you miss the playoffs by one game. Well, we had to play this one game that, is completely different because most of your games are in a controlled environment inside on the same size rink that okay every rink is different but it's on a controlled rink where it's not melting as you're playing on it um 
So you have that argument of, well, that one game that we could have played inside, maybe we would have had a different chance. Maybe the you know the points swing a little bit. I don't know. It's interesting, but I mean, when the most entertaining part or the most discussed part of an outdoor game like that is the uniforms they're wearing. Yeah, I get it. It's the coolest part of the whole thing. I mean, you're going to see these new uniforms they're going to wear outside. And if you're lucky, a couple times after that, and you'll get to buy them and you'll get to have them for yourselves forever. The uniform they wear should not be the main talking point after every outdoor game. It should be how beautiful it looked outside, how the weather really helped the environment and the atmosphere. It should be that it was a great game, that it was a great game on the ice. And hey, you know, back when the shootout was cool, the first one went to a shootout and it was won by the greatest player in the game at the time. Then the next couple went to overtimes and shootouts and they had the one at the big house in Michigan and 100,000 people showed up. Cool. Like, that's all very cool stuff. And you're, you know, you're able to flaunt that. You've done this outdoor game so many times, but all right, well, now here you are. You've had to move a couple. You've had to postpone a couple. Um, you've had bad weather for a lot of them, and that happens. I get it. You're against the elements there. It's just hard whenever you are playing on a surface that is meant to be indoors for the most part. Um, it's not like you're playing on grass where football and baseball, yeah, you play in rain sometimes. It's part of the game. This rain and snow is not technically part of the game in the NHL that's the part I'm getting to and it just became a safety hazard one time that you kind of had to really watch yourself on and I don't know I I like the atmosphere I mean if another one comes to Pittsburgh or if the Penguins are in another one I'll try my damn just to go to it but that's because the atmosphere is cool mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> it's cool to do the stuff or it's cool to do the stuff around the arena and to say hey I was there that's one of the things about it. That's why people go to games. For that moment to happen, and they can say forever, I was at that game. I mean, considering I, can, I sit back all the time watching highlights and say, yeah, I was at that game. <laughs> it's just what I do, and I get it. I get why you want to keep doing it. I totally understand. I'm not saying put an end to it. I'm saying just start doing it right. It's like the 30th time you've done it. <laughs> You should I have sure it down guess by it's now. more than 30 at this point. Yeah. I think they said it was that one was the 30th. Oh. Well, I don't know if they're counting Heritage Classics or not, but Oh uh, yeah. I don't know, but still, it's it's interesting. Yeah. I just think you should know that sunlight, you know, commonly melts ice. I mean, it melted <laughs> the sun melted the ice off my car this morning. I didn't have to do anything to it, so I don't know. I just it's hard to watch. I mean, I don't want to also turn the game on, and the first thing I say is they're not finishing it. And I, I wasn't totally wrong. I want to, I want to flip it on and say, damn, that looks awesome. Wish there could be people there, or look how good the gameplay is. Also, damn it, can Flurry win a game outside? No, he cannot. It is not possible. It is not allowed under the rules of the CBA. He cannot win a game outside of the arena. Oh, and three now. Oh, and three. But we're going to finish this episode off quickly with our Pens poll. And this week's Pens poll got a lot of traction. I mean, mainly because it was a yes or no question. But the question that we asked, do the Penguins need to trade for another goaltender this season? 74% of our listeners responded, yes, the Penguins do need to trade for another goaltender. Obviously, that means 26% said no. Horwat, 
do you think the Penguins need to trade for another goaltender this season? Uh, what day did you make that tweet again? Last Monday. Okay. Uh, has the last three games changed anyone's mind? <laughs> because I answered no then, and I'm continuing to answer no now. We don't need to make a trade for a goalie. Jari's our guy, and on top of that, new management said, for the most part, they don't plan on making too many big trades, in so many words, and that they're going to just watch the team this year and make evaluations. Yep. So I'm assuming Jari's going to be part of that evaluation. So that's not me saying that we need to make a move. That's me saying they're not going to make a move, and we still don't need to anyway. Jari's turned his game around since you asked that question on Twitter. Yeah. I mean – Maybe I look, I mean, I definitely remember hesitating over that answer. Like, mm, because at the time there were so like, I, so much has happened penguins wise and news wise and goaltending wise that we may have had the discussion of is John Gibson a viable trade piece for this episode. But here we are. The fact that Jari's turned his game around, um, that's no longer a real discussion. Yeah. I think we're good now. I think we're at the point of, Hey, Jari's fine. Gibson is great. And would be cool to see a, you know, Pittsburgh boy come home, but we're not having that discussion anymore. Yeah, the flurry thing is going to happen forever and ever. But at this point, hey, we really don't need that, and Vegas does definitely doesn't want to give him up. Yeah, he lost an outdoor game. Well, he's never won an outdoor game. He's playing the best hockey, some of the best hockey of his career right now. So they're not going to give him up. Period. Point blank. It's. Yeah, we don't need to make the move. Jari's turned his game around, like I said, since you asked that question, he's turned the game around. I'd be curious if you asked that question again, what they would say. Mm -hmm. uh, because things seem to be going good now. Yeah. I also answered no to this question last week. I don't think the Penguins need to get another goaltender. Listen, it would be very nice if the Penguins could get a goaltender like Marc-Andre Fleury in here to split starts with Tristan Jari. Yeah, that'd be a great tandem. Yeah, it'd be great if we had a tandem of John Gibson and Tristan Jury. That'd be fine. That, that'd be fine. That'd be a good goalie duo. But here's the thing. One, what are you giving up for those guys who are clearly not on the trade block? Two, if you are committed to getting another goaltender in here, who are you going to get? Because John Gibson's name was floated out in rumors. That's not going to happen. From what I've seen and from what I've heard, I talked to the folks over at the Quack Report here on the Hockey Podcast Network, they said it hasn't even came up, really, out in Anaheim. So that's not viable. Obviously, Marc-Andre Fleury is not a viable option. Who, who are you trading for right now? What are you giving up? There's no viable options at this point. And yes, we did ask this prior to Tristan Jari finishing a really good four-game homestand in which he had a 936 save percentage. We did ask this prior to that. Most of the answers were in prior to Thursday's ep Thursday's game. They were also in definitely because the poll ended on Friday. They were in before his performance on Saturday. So, yeah, I'm sure it changes a little bit considering his performance since we asked this question last Monday. But I was surprised that it was that much of a difference. I was surprised that 74% think that the Penguins need another goalie. If Tristan Jari plays the way he did last week, they definitely don't. If he plays the way that he's played prior to last week, I'm not sure who you can get. That's the problem. Yeah. So I don't think they need to trade for another goaltender this season. I think Casey DeSmith has proven he's a good backup. I think Tristan Jari has shown that he can get out of that slump and he can be the guy that was an all-star last year. And I think what you need to focus on is playing better defensive hockey because although Tristan Jari has played well over the past week, as we, we talked about, 
He's played well while having to save 40-plus shots in a game, while having to save 15 shots every first period of a game in the past four. He has had to save over 30 shots in every game in that home stand. So I think you should focus a little bit more on your defense than on your goaltending. But that's just my opinion. Yep, I agree with that. You know, when you face that many shots, you're going to let a few in. That's just the way it is. But, again, you keep all that stuff over 900, good, fine, nothing to worry about. Well, good and fine. I would never say over 900. You know what I mean by that. You keep it at a respectable number, you're good. Nothing to move for. That's going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. A nice long one to get you started on the last week of February. Horwat, any last words before we send the folks home for the – Last time until Thursday. Uh, Here's to another thousand from Crosby. That would be definitely something. He'd probably be at that point uh, 45. Oh, so he'd be Yager. He would be Yaramir Yager playing in the NHL. That's not missing any games. I mean, 10 years on full seasons is 820 games. So there's 43 right there, and he's got another 180 games to go. So, yeah, obviously not going to happen. But Clearly not going to happen. (laughs) Gordie Howe's the only one to hit 2,000, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gordy Howe, so, and I'm sure if you add up all of Yagers, he's getting pretty close. If you I add up so. Czech KHL. League, KHL, stuff like that. But yeah. that's going to be it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. We hope you enjoyed our episode. We will be back on Thursday. See you guys. You can follow us on Twitter at NickHorwat41 and at Nick underscore Berlansky. You can also follow the show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast. This podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts from, so please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We are brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. You can visit them on Twitter at HockeyPodNet or at the HockeyPodcastNetwork.com. Every team, everywhere.